this is Jeff Cobra, and we welcome you to another edition of DisneyAtPlay.com, our podcast today. Well, our podcast started with the previous podcast where we had a big update on Disney Springs and everything that was going on there right now uh, since it has reopened. Today, we wanted to build on that update and begin what I refer to as uh, a Disney Springs heritage tour. You know, uh, as I was going through uh, Disney Springs the other day, I noticed some details um, in the uh, in the work that had been done recently, and I thought, you know, we really haven't done a great job of telling the story about Disney Springs and how it came to be. And so I wanted to do that. And I thought, you know, about every month or so, we end up doing a Disney Springs update, why not follow up with some chapter in that Disney Springs heritage so that people have a better idea of what Disney Springs is all about and where its roots are from. You know, in truth, um, a lot of people think about Walt Disney World and being at Walt Disney World in 1971, but the first million people who showed up to Walt Disney World didn't come to the Magic Kingdom. They came to what was known as the Walt Disney World Preview Center. In fact, it's amazing how many people came through that preview center before the park and the accompanying resorts all opened. And it would only be a, a few blocks from there that um, the Lake uh, Buena Vista Shopping Center would be established just a couple of years later. So we want to we want to help you understand that this is a big cornerstone of the Walt Disney World experience. And we want to go through what I think is going to be about a seven segment um, visit through the heritage of Disney Springs. Uh, we want to talk about uh, the downtown Disney Marketplace. We want to talk about the Pleasure Island years and all the craziness of that. We want to talk about Disney's West End, which is a world unto itself. And then we need to really nosedive into each of the four segments. Disney Springs Marketplace, as it is today. The Town Center, um, which is really where the springs really come together. The Landing which is what um, Pleasure Island eventually came to be. And then the West Side, which is now the shorthand for what was Disney's um, West End um, originally. And so we want to take, um, and this will probably be over the next six, seven months that we cover all this, but we wanted to kind of take piece by piece and go through this beginning with a history of um, the marketplace and all of its roots going back. And by the way, I can tell you in preparing for this experience, and you're gonna wanna check out the notes page because it's got some important uh, images. It's got important maps of what it used to look like. We're gonna go through what was originally the Walt Disney World Village and, uh, we'll, and talk about what was there back then and what is there today. We're going to I'm going to share some favorite memories from that experience and, and, and largely how the whole thing kind of came to be. So we got, it, in preparing for this, I just got to say, 
it was so easy to go through so many different rabbit holes because there's so many ends to to the history of this. It is a near 50-year-old institution. And, uh, and a lot of people don't appreciate all the history and heritage. It doesn't stand out like Magic Kingdom or Epcot, but it's still a very big uh, piece of the Walt Disney World experience. So to do that, we have to even go back before uh, the, mar the marketplace actually began. Um, and to understand that originally, as we all understand it, and I'm not going to go into a lot of history here, but remember, Epcot was to stand for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. And Wall had originally crafted an idea around that, but there were other ideas for what this community of tomorrow might look like. And one of them was this entire area of Lake Buena Vista. And the idea was, what if we put in um, villas and homes and shopping areas and office building complexes and kind of make this an intact garden community. This would be different than the city of tomorrow or community of tomorrow that that was kind of the Epcot with the dome and the towers in the center. This was going to be kind of more of a residential community originally. Obviously that evolved, but it begins really next door with the villas actually having been started back in 1974. And that whole history is a history in and of itself. It has evolved by so many titles. It's all we could do to talk about the different titles for the marketplace today. But that was the precedent that readied the need for a shopping village next door adjacent. And so the Lake Buena Vista shopping village came to be on March 22nd of 1975. And that core village is what we are going to focus our attention on today. Now it's evolved, but that is the, that is the basis of what we're going to do. The only major expansion to this village area um, in terms of additional space, I mean, there were a lot of remodelings that went on and a lot of change of, of retail and, and food and beverage outlets. But the Empress Lily came on board around May 1st of 1977. And this was an important event to, to Disney. At that time, there was no premier dining experience. And this was before Epcot's restaurants. This is before um, uh, Disney's Grand Floridian had its premier restaurants, or there was a uh, California um, uh, restaurant on top of the Contemporary. This was the premier dining experience at California Grill. And, um, but so it started in 1975. And then because it was called Lake Buena Vista, people didn't see the connection to Walt Disney World. So it was renamed to be the Walt Disney World Village in 1977. And with that came a couple of events nearby, not in the village, but nearby, but they were important. One of them was um, in 1978, the Lake Buena Vista Office Plaza, known by most locals as the Sunbank or the SunTrust building, uh, was was built in uh, July of 1978. 
And this was the first effort, this glass building was the first effort to kind of build the business section. Again, trying to think about how we would attract more people to this space. And so that was one component. And the bottom of that was a SunTrust bank, beautiful atrium inside, and then up on the upper uh, floors was housed really the original Disney corporate offices. Well, they, I mean, they originally were in the Magic Kingdom, but that became very impractical, especially as they were evolving toward the building of Epcot. They needed more office space, and so that became the SunTrust building. Later, we would have the Team Disney building, and that would come along. The other thing that happened a couple of years later was the establishment of the Walt Disney World Conference Center next door at the um, Disney Villas. And that too was intended to bring more of a business uh, group to that area. And mind you, of course, we also have the hotels along um, in, in Lake Buena Vista. Those were also to feed into what was to be the shopping area. And the shopping area really becomes the focal point of all of this. In 1989, this all became what was known as the Disney Village marketplace. So they cut out Walt Disney World, got down to Disney Village and called it a marketplace. That was to distinguish the marketplace from its neighbor, its new neighbor, which was Pleasure Island. And so now we have two distinguished pieces here, one being Disney Village Marketplace and the other being Pleasure Island. That continued until there was a decision to take these aging villas and all this, uh, all of these, I mean, this includes the treehouse villas and, and all these different uh, units that were built next door. The decision was made to create what became known as the Disney Institute, which was a play on, on a learning institution in Chautauqua, New York. And that was established in February of 1996. It later tanked, it tanked, it didn't later tank, it tanked from day one. It did never, it never did very well, but it ended up taking on what was Disney University professional development programs and became business programming. And that's where I did most of my programs in the 90s was there at the Disney Institute. Um, I even have on, in my stairwell a large picture of the schoolroom. It's kind of a red um, clapboard building that was on that complex. And, and that whole institution there was, was now the new neighbor to Disney Village Marketplace. And then I think it, a, a very important event occurred in 1996 as well, later that year, when the world of Disney opened up. In fact, I remember the morning it opened up, I actually went running that morning. I can't believe how much I ran back then. Um, but I actually remember running um, that whole area to kind of see how it, um, what it looked like and what it was going to become. Uh, they, had, they had completely remodeled or taken apart a couple of buildings. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And it became uh, the world of Disney, which was a huge moment for this marketplace area. That is the centerpiece of the marketplace is World of Disney. From that, it became the Downtown Disney Marketplace at Downtown Disney in 1997. Some other things happened um, 
with Once Upon a Toy opening uh, in August 2002. A couple little minor things. This is kind of the period where it's, as I recall, um, the the train came in. Maybe that came was a little earlier. The carousel too. But the big thing was the Once Upon a Toy. That was a pretty significant remodel and addition um, to um, that facility um, during that time. And then finally the renovation into Disney Springs around 2018. And we'll cover that in a future uh, period. And we'll talk about the renovation of World of Disney during that time, which is the biggest part of that renovation, although there are other pieces to it. Um, by the way, I should also mention, if I don't get a chance to mention it later on, um, one of the great things that opened at the same time World of Disney opened was the Kaleidoscope. Do you remember that there was this tall tower in front of, between Ghirardelli and World of Disney? And you would see, you'd look into it and see this beautiful. So what did the Walt Disney World Village Marketplace what did all this look like back in, say, the mid-80s? There's a map that I have in on the show notes page. You might want to um, take a look at it. Surprisingly, the layout is fairly identical, with exception of one set of buildings. It's fairly identical to what it has been for several decades. Starting, if we could start kind of and move counterclockwise from... Um, what is the Paddlefish today? That was originally the Empress Lily River Boat. It also included the Baton Rouge Lounge and the Empress Room. Um, and, uh, and that was a signature, a dining experience. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. Then moving counterclockwise again, what is now the Lego store was... A store called Art Espana, which included handcrafted gifts and decorative articles from prestigious artisans and designers in Spain, i.e. Erebus Brothers, Erebus Brothers, however you want to pronounce this, uh, which is interesting because they also had another store that I'll come back to in a moment. It also had uh, Mini Mia's Pizzeria at the time. So that too was a part of that experience. Moving forward to what is the world of Disney um, today was what was originally the Pottery Chalet, um, which was a very popular outlet, especially in the 70s as all these handcrafted um, items were sold back in the 70s and 80s, but also a signature retail experience here was the Christmas Chalet. Now you probably think of the Christmas store across, but this was actually where the world of Disney is now. And at the time I eventually started um, frequenting uh, the marketplace, the toy, um, Toys um, Fantastique had actually moved over to this region. I want to say that maybe by then it had taken on a Mattel ownership. But, and we'll talk more about that in a few minutes, but in both of these places. But this is probably the biggest change in all of the Disney marketplace because I, I, I wouldn't say they necessarily tore down the building, but whatever they had as an infrastructure for that building, they largely extended. 
in a major way, adding a second floor. A lot of people don't know about the second floor of the world of Disney. This place became ginormous compared to what it once was, but but that those were the things that were there. Now, to give you an idea again of what was then and what is now, if you think about where the basin shop is for those um, hand soaps and lotions and so forth, that's where two R's read and write was. Um, and next door, where Arriva's Brothers is today, well, guess what? Arriva's Brothers was there back then. <laughs> if you want to get a sense of what the Disney World Village Marketplace looked like several decades ago, 30, 40 years ago, just go to that store because it has not changed a whole lot since those early years. That's, that is for sure. Um, what is guest services now and the co-op section and the trendy section? That was known as the Great Southern Craft Company. Again, more crafts. We'll talk about this a little later. And they also had what was known as the Mickey's Character Shop, which would be what eventually evolves into um, the world of Disney. In front of this, where Ghirardelli is now, there was always a counter service kind of little place. It was, it's called Light Bites then. I want to say later on, it either took on Goofy's name or Donald's name or Daisy's name, somebody's, but it, it always was kind of a place to get a bite to eat. Where Once Upon a Toy is now, that used to be Sir Edward's haberdasher. Let me just read the description for this. The finest in men's and boys' wear with personal and professional assistance, active resort and dress wear, and a selection of men's shoes. Meaning, we have a lot of golf shirts and a lot of shorts here. And I think this is probably where most Disney executives did their shopping. Uh, this is the Dick Nunes store, um, and where they ended up, you know, that look and feel of that era largely came from Sir Edward's Haberdasher. Um, going on down, where Earl of Sandwich is, um, there was the Gourmet Pantry, which has always actually had a sort of gourmet, gourmet shop with household kitchen items, things of that nature. It's now called um, Spice and Tea Exchange. I think that's a fairly recent um, development, but it, they've always had the kitcheny thing there. Across from that, on the other side of the carousel, where you have the Star Wars Trading Post and the Goofy's Candy Company, this was where Toys Fantastique was before it moved later on, and um, a, a children's clothing shop called It's a Small World After, where, after All, and a, a, a store resort wear unlimited, where, again, you had casual wear largely for women in that store. And I remember that one stayed around for a long time, and it, 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 it changed out eventually to Goofy's Candy Company um, in the 90s. Then over um, a big, this is a big signature part of the Disney Village, which is not there. Jutting out to the water in the same location where you now have this bridge that canvases. And this is, that bridge is important to uh, the development of the marketplace because one of the challenges of the marketplace was it, it just kind of dead ended for so many years at any rate. 
Captain Jack's Oyster Bar was kind of um, the watering hole for a lot of executives, especially those in the SunTrust building. That's kind of where they all hung out and uh, and got a drink at the end of the day. Um, it, it is just a signature part of what was the Disney uh, Village for so many years. Um, now there's an Aristo Grapes little kiosk and again the bridge. Um, back in the back where the Art of Disney, Disney's Wonderful World of Memories is now, there was a jewelry store called 24 Karat Precious Adornments. There was a liquor store in the far corner, and liquor store closest actually to the villas next door, um, called Village Spirits. And then uh, moving forward where the Christmas store is now and the Wolfgang Puck Express is, was where you could find Team Mickey's Athletic Club, uh, a little boutique called Sassy's, and then All American Express um, was there. The only thing we haven't named so far is that also in this corner was the Village Restaurant and lounge which eventually became known to most people as the rainforest cafe and it's got an interesting history in and of itself and we're going to come back to that in a few minutes the only uh, the, uh, and there is one more thing i wanted to mention in the middle of all this where disney pin traders is that circular big circular kiosk that's was always referred to as the captain's tower and actually for many years the, either the merchandise changed or they used it for event purposes. Um, sometimes they sold citrus that you could take back home to families and friends, Florida citrus and so forth. Um, that kind of evolved over the years, but uh, Captain's Tower was really more of a gathering place um, for for events and things that occurred uh, there at at the marketplace. I want to share with you a couple of memories. And even though um, my first trip to uh, the Disney Marketplace was not until um, 1990, um, my roots with this place actually go back to the same roots as those who developed this concept. When you think about the team from Florida, uh, whether it's management or Imagineers, everyone who came together to say, what is this going to look like and become? You have to understand that these people had their roots, not in Florida, but Southern California. And Southern California in the 60s and 70s is where I grew up as a child. The design sensibility of the marketplace comes from California seaside shopping villages, from the San Diego, um, old Quarter to up Fisherman's Wharf up in San Francisco. California has had a long history of waterfront uh, locations filled with an eclectic variety of shopping and dining experiences. An example of this, take Captain Jack's uh, that we just talked about, this restaurant, oyster bar, that jutted out in the water for so many years. So that's named after Jack Lindquist who is formerly the president of Disneyland and who grew up uh, at Hollywood High as a kid and was part of the Southern California landscape. If you exit Disneyland, 
take Harbor Boulevard and you go south all the way till it dead ends at the ocean, where, you, where do you go? You end up at Newport Beach. Where, what is at Newport Beach? Well, take a left and, uh, and go another couple of blocks and you get to a boat that takes you to Balboa Island. Balboa Island in Newport Beach and places like Portsacal Village in San Pedro had huge, um, they were so much a part of the influence of what I believe became the Disney Marketplace Village. By the way, Portsacal Village, which opened in the 60s, I mean, basically, they took the formula for Disney's thematic uh, influences and built that. And, and, and unashamedly, they, they borrowed from Disney's um, ideas. So, so anyway, these, these places, in turn, became the influence for the clapboard design of this whole village. And they were also the influencers in bringing in craft-like vendors selling pottery and macrame and paintings and rattan and embroidery and plants and so forth. I mean, all of this was so 70s and so Southern California. And all of this just, you know, what are we going to do in Florida? We're going to bring a little bit of California, just like we brought Disneyland to the magic. Magic Kingdom to Walt Disney World, we're going to bring in these elements to Florida. <laughs> of course, the problem is they don't have a beach like Southern California. Um, but hey, we'll dig up a lake. And Lake Buena Vista became that place to put in a, a village along the water, so to speak. And my, you have to remember too, by the way, and this was a big thing with Dick Nunes, he always felt strongly that the big competition in Florida was the beach because people were originally just thinking, well, we'll drive to the Magic Kingdom or Walt Disney World, spend a day, maybe to it, and then head on down to Miami or Sarasota or any number of these places. In fact, speaking of Sarasota, there's another place that drew influence in the village for, um, if you go to Sarasota and you find St. Armand's Circle, this is where John Ringling bought up, um, took bought up the space and created this little um, circle because at Ringling everything's a three-ring circus, and he created in the middle of this little community this this ring of shopping and dining experiences. It's it's a fantastic place. If you've never been there, you got to go there today. And one of the things that you'll see when you visit there is Ringling's collection of Mediterranean statues that are just in abundance all throughout this, this little retail um, dining um, area. In the early days of the Disney Village, you would see these random Mediterranean statues uh, just in different locations throughout the marketplace village it didn't make any sense unless you had that context of sarasota another place that plays on this theme of southern california is and i remember very well these restaurants they were called the reuben e lee and they were restaurants that were in the form of a steamboat ship one was in newport beach and the other in san diego 
They came in the late 60s, early 70s, I think, in that time frame. And they were the predecessor of the Empress Lily and all the fine dining that took place on the Empress Lily. These, these ships were hugely popular. There were waits most days for a couple of hours to get into these, into these ships. It was such a unique dining experience. Of course, where does, what is the precedent for the, these Rubini Lee, um, uh, steamboat dining restaurant ships? Well, he took it from the Mark Twain steamboat at Disneyland. So one thing kind of goes to another, comes back to another, but, but that's why, I mean, it's so random when you go to Disney, if you think about just the Disney World Village, you see this marketplace of clapboard um, uh, retail and, and dining establishments. And then you see this very fancy steamboat. And it makes no sense. And it, in my view, when the early days, and this is another memory that I have, is because I couldn't afford to go to Walt Disney World back in those days. I grew up in Phoenix and I'd go to Disneyland, but Walt Disney World, too expensive. So I would write for stuff from Disney. And everything that you got from Disney, whether it was um, a souvenir guide or an eyes and ears or a, a hotel um, a newsletter, everything would talk at some point about Lake Buena Vista and the shopping village. And, and you would read about this. Let me just read a little from some of the marketing and brochures that I got back at that time. A world of discoveries awaits Walt Disney World visitors at Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village in a setting of weathered bricks and woods and shops with cedar shingled roofs. Old world craftsmen carry out their vintage arts before admiring eyes, cutting crystal, shaping clay pottery, engraving gold, Fine fashions and imports are found in the elegant shops, and any number of taste-tempting treats await hungry explorers. Sourdough bread, made famous in San Francisco. And I, let me just stop right here. Again, Fisherman's Wharf, Bodine Bakery, along the wharf. That was a signature part of Fisherman's Wharf. These, all these elements were brought in to create what is the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village, which became the Walt Disney World Shopping Village and all this. All of these things, uh, in New England oysters on the half shell, international cheeses, peppermint wonders, and other sweet tooth sensations. Discover the shopping village on your journey to Walt Disney World, a treasured chest of shops located just off 535. So you get a sense of these were the images. These are the things I understood. And of course, I'd see these images in and if you look at one of the ones that are on my show notes page, you can actually see the contemporary resort in the background. You're just staring at this and going, why is this so far away from the Magic Kingdom and the contemporary resort? It doesn't make any sense until you realize that the thinking back then was not to create another tourist place as part of the Magic Kingdom and all of that. It was intended to support a community, a real community of buildings and offices and homes, residential properties and townhouses and all that. It didn't evolve to that, 
but that's where it has its roots and that's why you see this thing so strangely in the in its corner of of Walt Disney World another uh, diagram and it, this takes me back to the 90s another picture I have in the show notes page takes a look at not just the village which again looks remarkably like it does today but the part that I draw your attention to is the is the parking which in part is on asphalt but is also on the grass and in fact my, one of my first memories of the marketplace was that oftentimes we were parking on sod not on asphalt not in a parking lot garage but we were parking in sod back then that that was kind of how for lack of a better term how homemade this um this little corner of walt disney world it was just totally unique now as a family of six children the toy shops these were big parts of it and they, and they were in two parts really the first was mickey's character shop and the centerpiece of the store was and i think it there was even a step up to it but in the center you had this mountain of plush that was in the center of it was a 20 it it, it nearly went up 20 feet in height and um and you and I remember a lot of kids would just you know how you have those like little ball uh, playgrounds at McDonald's kids would like dive into these these plush displays and 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 take photos of them kind of gathered and all the plush that was sold back then of course we're talking Winnie the Pooh and Bambi and the Aristocats these were and Mickey and Minnie these were the kind of plush sold back then but all of them were available for sale there. This is kind of where you got your Disney souvenirs. And it was not a big store. But what was the centerpiece above this plush was a hot air balloon with Mickey, Donald, and Minnie on board. And again, I have a picture of this in the show notes page. If it seems familiar to you, it's, it's the genesis of all of those air balloons and steampunk kind of um, uh, aeroplane, helicopter, air balloon kinds of creations that were originally in World of Disney. That was kind of brought, that was kind of taken to the next level when World of Now is no longer there uh, since they redid World of Disney. That's kind of gone away, but, but that's where it, it initially occurred was in uh, Mickey's uh, character shop. Then you had another place that was separate of um, Mickey's character shop, and that was Toys Fantastic. And I would say Toys Fantastic was Disney's answer to FAO Schwartz. In fact, most of the toys in this sprawling place which eventually would become World of Disney, most of the toys were not even Disney-related. What made it a little bit like F.A.O. Schwartz was that these, a lot of the merchandise was made available to kind of try out and play with, and it was a very hands-on kind of experience back then. So that was, that was really kind of a cool part of, of the experience. And our, our kids would spend, I mean, it's forever, in in that shop 
along with uh, we usually started with Mickey's character shop and then evolved over to Toys Fantastic. Um, also cutting through the Christmas chalet, which was adjacent to it. I'll talk about that in a minute. But before I get to Christmas, let me also mention, um, I talked about the Disney Village uh, restaurant early on, which is now the Rainforest Cafe. Most people don't know that um, a rich, after, that after it had played uh, to that title for a, uh, for a period, being the Village Restaurant, very very 70s looking, very, um, um, it just, it just had that, that look to it. It closed in 95 and then, or I'm sorry, it closed in, um, uh, it closed in 90 and reopened as Chef Mickey's. Now there was already, um, at the Empress Lily in an effort to try to drum up business to this very expensive restaurant, they they actually, that was the origins of character meals and character breakfast especially, was at at the Empress Lily. But it became, that idea was so successful that they established what was known as Chef Mickey's at the Village Restaurant. And that continued on until September 30th of 95, <clears throat> when after an extensive reopening, it became the Rainforest Cafe in 96. At that same time, in December 22nd of 95, the Contemporary Cafe at the Contemporary Resort reopened to become Chef Mickey's and took on the name of that buffet and became a much bigger Mickey character meet and greet breakfast uh, meal location um and so but its origins is actually with the disney village by the way there's also another chef mickey it's actually located in disney's hollywood hotel at the hong kong disneyland resort so um <clears throat> at any rate chef mickey it has its roots at the disney village marketplace so let me conclude my memories of uh the marketplace with uh a discussion about all things Christmas because for our family Christmas and the marketplace are so aligned in many ways uh, the Christmas store that you're familiar with at the marketplace has always had a presence it seems at, at the at the Disney Village and for us that memory began with what was known as the Christmas chalet it resided in the space I want to say almost like in the entry area of what is World of Disney now it was a big open space and it had a big, beautiful Christmas tree year round. There was this smell of, I don't know if it was pine or cinnamon or some combination, but the favorite part of it for me was that they had a reginophone that played ho holiday music year long. Um, a Regina phone is kind of like a player piano with, you know how you have the scrolls that, that, that happen on a player piano with all the slots to know where the keys are played. This is a metal disc and it had slots in it. And as you played this record, it, in its own way, it created this beautiful holiday sound, which by the way, I believe they've taken that sound or a sound similar to that 
And when you were on Main Street uh, during the holidays, you will hear that particular sound play out. It's a distinct sound that's made by that by that music. And it every time I hear it on Main Street, it actually harkens me back to the marketplace. Another thing too, of course, at the marketplace and Christmas, you're buying toys because it's close to the holidays. We have lots of memories of buying toys when Toy Story came out. Oh, let me tell you, I was up and down uh, trying to get a hold of a Buzz Lightyear for my son, Braden. And I didn't end up getting it at the marketplace, but that was ground zero for looking for one. And it was a struggle. I remember also when Beauty and the Beast, the Christmas special came out um, on videotape. My daughter had, my, my oldest daughter had a bell doll in the red kind of um, velvet looking uh, dress that Belle had, and that was a big memory. Um, I, uh, and one of the other Christmas memories we have is that we had the unique privilege of seeing the glory and pageantry of Christmas played out. This was an annual tradition that occurred in the marketplace. And if you can imagine kind of a live nativity kind of production where you've got Joseph, you got Mary, you got shepherds, you got wise men, you got sheep, you got goats, you got camels. This thing was a full blown production. In fact, it was kind of a weird production in the sense that it got so big, they would put in these stands that would kind of occupy that space and seating not far from where the, um, the dockside stage is, and it just it just overtook that whole area because it was such a popular event for so many years. It came to an end at the same time that the candlelight processional at the Magic Kingdom came to an end. Now, the candlelight processional had always been played out along Main Street at Disneyland. They would go down, the carolers would go down Main Street and then do the procession, do the concert experience in front of the train station. At Walt Disney World, it kind of took turns between the train station and the castle, but you would go down, the processional would go down Main Street either way. Disney finally decided to kind of end the glory and pageantry of Christmas and the tradition of doing it in the Magic Kingdom and create a new tradition of doing it at Epcot. And that's the tradition most people have come to know and it is glorious there. But if you've never seen uh, the glory and pageantry of Christmas, I have that video on my notes page and you, could, you can see how that played out. Again, it seemed to me that that was about the same time that construction went underway for World of Disney. So I think a lot of things kind of all came to a head start. At any rate, Christmas and the marketplace are synonymous. In fact, if you want to hear more, head to show 56 of my podcast where I talk about three family Christmas Disney stories. One of those stories talks about our first year in Florida and Thanksgiving Day that was completely a bust. 
and how it was redeemed as we went to um, the marketplace that evening. So check that out. By the way, you can also check out our previous podcast where we talk about the latest happenings at Disney Springs. And there are so much happening with Cirque trying to move in, which I think has now actually moved the date from what I said on the podcast. Also, AMC Movie Theaters opening, several restaurants opening, and some that aren't. We talk about that in the podcast, so make sure you check that out. We also will put on the show notes page our original video of opening day at uh, Disney Springs, so you can get an idea of what that looks like now. But um, as we continue on talking about events and things happening at Disney Springs, we'll also bring more pieces of the Disney Spring heritage and talk about why Disney Springs is the way it is today and how it came to be. So make sure you stay tuned. Make sure if you haven't had a chance, subscribe to us um, on iTunes. And if you could, give us a good rating um, or a kind and friendly word. We're trying to bring uh, more people to to a knowledge of our podcasts and, and build listenership where possible. Finally, we thank you for joining us. Always remember, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, follow the compass of your heart. You have a great day. We'll see you real soon.